The Brewing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Good morning, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Welcome to the show. How you doing, John? I'm all right. How are you? I'm just fine. The Sunday show uh, took a little little steam out of uh, out of me, but other than that, I'm doing great. You look a little low in energy. It's <laughs> just slightly. I think we're all a little little tired this morning, especially Justin was staggering to the door in his in his bunny slippers and uh, <laughs> yeah. I heard the door I heard the doorbell ring and I was like, oh shit, it's morning. <laughs> I had to go answer. I thought about just leaving Jamil hanging out there for a little while. Do the show outside. That would have been rude. That would have been. Yeah, if you don't open the door, man, this is this show is really not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I was just telling these guys too. I think it's in the air. There's a couple hungover guys in the chat room for you too. So uh, everyone had a few drinks last night. It's a good time. Good show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we're talking about uh, Maybach, Munich, Helles, uh, Bach, Helles, uh, Bach. Helles, Bach, uh, all Blonde, Bach. There's a whole lot of Bach. A whole lot of Bach going on here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Maybach, Helles, Bach is kind of think of uh, a Munich, Helles that's... Uh, Brewed to a stronger strength, a bigger beer, malty, a little bit of alcohol. Higher malt or more malt? More malt to, to get that strength, that gravity going. It's it's one of my favorite styles. It's one of the things I love most. And uh, the two weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was brewing a Maybach. I thought, hey, we're going to do the Maybach show. I'll brew this thing and it'll still be young but i'll be able to get it into a keg and we can sample some and what happened well you know people think that i can just magically wave a wand and beer comes out the other end you can yeah the problem is sometimes it doesn't quite work out so right and this last time i brewed this uh mybach and it turned out you know, you're supposed to target uh, gravity between 10.62 to 10.72, some, somewhere in there. Mm. And I think I was targeting towards the high end, like about 10.70. And I took a gravity reading. Was it pre-boil or final? The final was yeah. like 10.62. Oh. And I don't know why. I just... Did it, you screw up? I screwed up. And it turned out darker than I wanted, and it just just wasn't right. I don't know what the heck was going on. But, hey, I put it in the fermenter anyways. I fermented it. Uh, I tasted it the other day, and it tasted pretty darn good. I was, uh, you know, it wasn't exactly what I was trying to brew, and it uh, isn't exactly a Maybach, but... I'm sure you'll yeah, do all right. Yeah, what the heck. Justin will drink it, Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. I did pour out about 15 gallons over the weekend. Uh, Old beer? Or beer that I just didn't think was worth drinking or anybody drinking. I you poured, poured it out? Yeah. <laughs> you got Justin. You'll drink it all. 
Yeah, I, I got a reputation to maintain, though. I know you have neighbors, too, so... Yeah, so I, I I dumped out. I needed some empty kegs, and that was okay. the quickest way to empty them. So you are brewing a lot. No, I'm not. Oh, okay. I brewed this... Uh, I, I, I'm too busy. I got too many things going on. No. Anyways, uh, my Bach is absolutely one of my favorites. I just... I love the... Uh, all the Bachs have that rich... Uh, malty character to them. The traditional box, the the, the my box differs from the traditional box and uh, the doppel box and the ice box in that it's not as melanoid and rich. So a, a my box is going to have the big malty background, but it's not going to have a huge Munich-y, toasty, roasty almost uh, flavor to it or character to it. It's right. going to be uh, more subdued in that range, but it will have more of the Pilsner malt background coming through. And it also has a little bit more hops to balance. Mm. The other box tend to be a little sweeter, a little more malt balanced. The uh, my box tends to be more evenly balanced or sometimes even just a hair bitter really? compared to you know uh, a traditional box. Is that the takeaway from the sweetness, so it's more drinkable? Yeah, and also they tend to attenuate a little bit uh, yeah, okay. further down. So they tend to be, you know, think of a Munich Helles brewed bigger, or right. some people think of a traditional Bach without the, you know, the melanoid richness. So yeah, I, I think of it more as a Munich Helles brewed bigger and okay. stronger. So it's it's like a fest beer. And one of the things, uh, the My Bach stands for May. So right. it's a Bach for May, for springtime, for spring celebrations. And one of the reasons we're covering this today is if you brewed one after you hear this show within the next week or two, be it'll be ready for May and, and you're ready to go. You should have a nice uh, My Bach for that time. The other things about My Bach, so you can, uh, some of the My Bachs that, that are out there now, the Gordon Biersch uh, Blonde Bach is a Maybach. Uh, Eyinger makes a great uh, Blonde Bach. They're Maybach. I have had Gordon Biersch's Blonde Bach. There you go. That's you, delicious. You have, isn't it? It's oh, great. They, beer they, they, they brew it quite well. Mm-hmm. And one of the other Bachs, I, I don't see in the BJCP style, because I guess maybe it's not traditional, but uh, Lebkowitz makes uh, Prince. And it is, it's, it's kind of like taking a Czech pills and turning it into a Bach. Mm. So a little bit bigger and a little hoppier. Mm-hmm. And that's a fantastic one. I love that, uh, quite a bit. That's a good one to, to try if you can find it in your Bevmo or whatever you got around. So there's some range and some people used to say, well, uh, Hellas Bach and my Bach, my Bach is hoppier, that they're different. And I, I don't think so. I think there's, you know, just a range in the style from, being malty, less hoppy, to being you know a little bit of hops in there, a little bit of hop character, a little bit of hop flavor. Really shouldn't have hop aroma, but it should have a, a touch of hop flavor in the background. Should have a little bit more bitterness than uh, would it be know, clean and crisp. Clean and crisp, crisp as and a, as a big beer can be. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, the bitterness should be uh, subdued. Okay. You know, what's there should be clean. Every, everything about this should be clean. Right. There shouldn't be any fruity esters. There shouldn't be um, any diacetyl. There shouldn't be any DMS. Uh, there can be some DMS because you're using a lot of Pilsner malt, and it's a fairly light color beer. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, it should be very clean. Now, one thing I noticed, I've seen some articles around that say you should uh, use 
quite a bit of caramel or crystal malt in there. And my box should not have any caramel flavors to it whatsoever. Do they even use crystal in German beers? Uh, Some of them, sure, I imagine they do. You know, some of the darker. But uh, as far as my box goes, it's a, it's, you know, blonde box. So it's blonde to uh, light amber. Mm. But it shouldn't uh, have a caramel flavor to it. So you shouldn't get any car- kettle caramelization is one thing you got to watch out for, especially if you're an extract brewer. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be adding crystal grains as far as your steeping goes. One, it's going to make it too dark in color, and it's also going to add those caramel flavors to it that just aren't appropriate for the style, if you ask me. Would it be too sweet due to that? And it's also going to make it quite a bit sweeter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, you want it like a Munich Hellas, and you're not going to put crystal in a Munich Hellas. Mm-hmm. You know, that's almost just pure Pilsner malt and maybe some Munich. And then, you know, you step that up, you get the uh, Maybach. The base grains and all that, again, uh, you're going to want to use a good uh, European Pilsner malt. Like a Durst, German Pils? Durst, German Pils is excellent. That's what I use. I I like that a lot. And there's a number of other good maltsters out there, but you're going to get something that that characteristic of that malt in in a big way is what the Maybach base is. Mm-hmm. And then I tend to use some Munich, quite a bit of Munich in there to do it. And What about Vienna in place of Munich? Vienna's a good choice. Or you might split up, do some Munich, some Vienna. Hmm. Different, you know, Vienna and Munich have slightly differing uh, tastes. Some people say, you know, Vienna's like a lighter color of Munich. And that's fairly true in a way, but okay. not not uh, 100%. And uh, But that that could be a good choice as well. Your starting gravity, you need to be you know, 1064 to 1072 in that range. What's your uh, Munich-Vienna ratio? Can you use just a ton of Munich? You can. We'll get into the details of the recipe in a bit. But I like to go about a third Munich and two-thirds Pilsner. So, so more Pilsner than Munich. Yeah, definitely. If you if you go too much Munich, it's going to get too melanoidin rich. I'm probably pushing the boundary at a third. You might go 20%, 80%, but I like a third, two thirds. And um, the Munich that you want to use is a light Munich. You don't want to use a dark Munich in the in the Maybach. You can use dark Munich and other things. So you're, the Munichs that they sell out there, they'll say like EBC 20. Mm-hmm. That'll be like 8 love. Wow. Which is about right. Okay. So the 6 to 10 love range on the Munich malt is kind of the the, the sweet spot for that. And that, that'll caramelize more and you'll get the color from the Munich then? Yeah, not caramelized, but you'll get, uh, you know, the Munich malt is kilned at a higher temperature, right. a little longer. And it makes it darker and forms some of those melanoidin flavors. And you want some of those in this. You just don't want as much as in a in a box, in a darker box, a traditional box, a doppel box. Okay. You want it a little less, a little more restrained. So it's going to provide those flavors, some, some breadiness, some uh, toastiness, that kind of background mm. that uh, you're not going to get from the plain Pilsner malt. You get a different kind of malt background from that. And that's, uh, you know, fairly important to the overall style as well. Hmm. Sounds good. I didn't brew one. 
Yeah, it, and it's it's not that difficult to brew. Again, a simple recipe overall, and you are targeting 64 to 72. I like to hang around the 1070 range or so. Go bigger. Yeah, it, when you get down to 62, 60, like, like my, my, my mistake, <laughs> it almost seems like a big... Municellus, right? You know, a slightly too big Municellus. So you're going to brew Municellus around 1050. You know, three plate or more, 1062. But if you get it drier, that would be okay. Like 08, yeah, yeah. 10 or something. Would that yeah. Be? Well, and your Maybach is going to finish out 10, 11, 10, 8 to 1018 in that range. If you're if you're going to brew a bigger Maybach, you're going to finish, of course, in the higher range. Right. If you're going to if you're going to brew a smaller Maybach, it's going to be finished in a lesser range. IBUs, you're looking at, um, uh, style guy says 23 to 35 plus. I tend to go around, uh, a ratio of about one third, one third plus. So maybe 0.4 in the bitterness, uh, OG ratio that okay. Ray Daniels talks about. Right. Uh, so for a 1070 beer, I would have an IBU of maybe 26, hmm. and that tends to, to balance out nicely. You still get a, a bit of hop bitterness present in there. You, if you did a traditional Bach or even a Doppelbach, you wouldn't have your IBUs that high. Right. So you're going to bump it up a little bit in this, and with that, you're going to get some of that hop flavor that's part of the, the character of this beer. And... Your color, again, a deep, dark golden to a light amber. They say SRM 6 to 11, right. that kind of range. I, I like to be a little darker. Some judges will ding you on it if they think it's too dark, but there's quite a bit of range in that color allowed. And then your your alcohol is going to be you know, around 7% alcohol, mm. like, a, like a traditional block. How about some steroids then? Munichalisation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a, a good way to look at it. Some people look at it as a traditional Bach that's not as dark or like a, a light version of a traditional Bach, but I don't know. The To me, it seems that it, it came from uh, Munichalis and became, you know, a bigger Munichalis. That seems more like it. Where is it brewed in Germany? Uh... Boy, I don't know. I think it's Bavaria. <laughs> yeah, southern Germany southern is where Germany. most of the different beers are brewed. Right. That's where their concentration of of uh, brewers are out there. Eyinger is uh, they're in uh, the very south of Germany, down Bavaria. So they brew an excellent version there, Maybach. What I thought was interesting was um, in Germany they'll brew a darker beer like a Doppelbach in the winter time. October, fall, and then come springtime or early spring or signs of spring, they'll brew this high gravity beer, but in a lighter color as a sign of like, you know, summertime's coming, it's looking good, you know, we're going to get into our wheat beers, our lighter gravity beers. It's almost like they brew based on seasons to reflect their, uh, I don't know, hard times and good times in their in their country. Well, that's an excellent point, and I, I actually enjoy brewing to the seasons and, and to the traditional seasons for the different beers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Christmas beers at Christmas time, light summer beers during summertime, and something like a Maybach, 
ready for May. Right. Yeah, you know, I think that's pretty cool. It kind of ties in with the history of, of brewers and brewing and all that. Sweet. All right. So after the break, we'll talk about the recipe. If you are uh, listening, join us in the chat room. You can ask questions live and join other brewers to uh, enjoy the show. We'll be right back in just a couple minutes. is the Jamil show hello welcome back we're talking about Munich Hellas how to brew them what they taste like or Hellas Bach I should say thank you yeah. hey, see you got me started on that now <laughs> I can't stop saying I just think you're thirsty that's all <laughs> that must be it yeah. I need to drink the beer we're talking about uh, during the entire show. Cool hair of the dog for you. How's that, that would remind me. Yeah. <laughs> so all Yes, great. correct. We're talking about uh, Hellas Bach, my Bach. Same thing. Recipes for all grain. You're going to want to go with a European Pilsner malt. Two-thirds of your, your grist. Something like a Durst uh, is an excellent. Uh, Wireman makes an excellent Pilsner malt. Uh, Brees has theirs. Uh, ideally, go with a European one. Yeah, more traditional. Is that the purpose of it? Yeah, and, and it's got a different flavor. Okay. Yeah, you know, those European, those continental Pilsner malts are are great like that. One third of your grist should be a light Munich malt, and again, the same companies make great. Munich malts. You want something in the 6 to 10 Lovabon range. So one-third that, two-thirds Pilsner, get to a gravity of about 1070. Mm. About 26 IBUs. Use a clean bittering hop like Magnum is an excellent hop for this. You'd use Magnum in that? My yes. Love? Really? Yeah. Because you don't really want... Why wouldn't you just use like a hollow tower? Or... You can use a hollow tower, but... You can use, uh, it, it, you know, you end up with, if you're using uh, Holotower at sauce or something like that, and it's in the 3 to 5 alpha acid range, you can use a, a bunch of it. You can yeah. just use some Magnum, which is a derivative of, uh, you know, Holotower middle fruit. Okay. And it, you know, has a great flavor, even Magnum. It's clean. Any leftover hop flavor you get from it tastes good tastes you know the right the right way and especially when you're doing a big beer and you need a fair amount of IBUs and you have very little hop matter left over but your quantity though for a magnum will be far less than if you were to use a hollow tower like you'd use maybe a quarter ounce or a half ounce for a five gallon batch of magnum Right. Well, and it depends, what, I guess, what size batch you're doing. Okay. And if it gets so small that you're having trouble measuring it, you need... Uh, here's an interesting side note. The more... The higher the alpha acid of a, of a hop mm-hmm. and that, that you want to use, the more accurate your measurement needs to be. So if you have a scale that is good for measuring cocaine... You're probably good for measuring hops on it, and it'll, you know, that's that's the kind of accuracy you want, and you weigh it in grams instead of ounces. Tenth of gram, right? Right, because most of the scales are more accurate in grams. You know, the, the ones that'll shift 
the electronic ones. Right. You know, a gram is more more accurate than at least it gives you uh, the numbers. The scale's still the same accuracy, but it'll give you the numbers to look at. And uh, if you if you weigh it that way, you're gonna have a more accurate measurement. And in the higher alpha acid hops, that's important because a swing, a little bit of a, a high alpha hop can make a, a difference in a beer. Unless you're doing, you know, double IPAs that are 100 IBUs and you know, just chuck okay. them in, just kind of take a handful and go, yeah, that looks like yeah, a shotgun four approach. ounces and throw it in. Yeah, if you if you have a cheap scale that doesn't act, weigh very accurately, then use lower alpha hops so you get a little more control over it. The, the point being, you want to be able to repeat what you're doing. The more you can repeat it, the more precision you have in, in repeating it time after time, the better you're going to be able to control your process and adjust it to be the way you want and make the kinds of beers you want. Right. So that's important. Um, so, yeah, I use Magnum for that. I'll do a one 60-minute edition. And this is a 90-minute boil, so after... Right, okay. so I'll do 90-minute boil. After 30 minutes, I'll toss in... Uh, in a 10-gallon batch, less than an ounce of magnum, and then uh, let that go. And uh, no flavoring, no aroma hops. That's it? That's it. It's you a really simple recipe. No Herzberger or sauce hops in the finish? or No. Again, if you get too much hop flavor, too much hop aroma, mm-hmm. it's really going to take it out of style. Now, you can make them that way, mm-hmm. and like I was saying, the Lebkowitz Prince is, is like that. But if you're entering it in competition and you want to do well, it's all malt-based. You, you really skip the flavor and aroma additions. You'll get enough hop flavor through. The judges will detect the hop flavor from the bittering addition, okay. believe it or not. And, and that'll stand out. As far as uh, yeast goes, uh, I like the German lager yeast. I like the German Bach yeasts. The White Labs uh, 830 and the 833. Okay. I think those are two two great lager yeasts. Can't go wrong with either one of those. Y yeast makes uh, similar yeasts there. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. I think John's got them there. The 2206. 2206, that's the German lager. And the 2308. 2308. That's the Munich right. lager. Or Munich lager, yeah. yeah. A couple of, couple of great uh, yeasts there as well. Dry yeasts. Uh, Maybe staff lager that oh yeah, four, right? Yeah, that that might be okay. Why uh, wouldn't you use a southern German lager? The southern German lager, that's that's good too. I used to like that a lot. It's yeah. pretty clean and crisp. That one. Yeah, I I preferred the eight thirty three. That one's the, maltier, the German right? bar. Yeah, especially for box because it is maltier. And then uh, I also like the German lager as well. But what, uh, what do you like about the German lager? It really has a, a good flavor. So many good lager brewers are using it that okay. it's very recognizable. And if you're trying to recreate a commercial example of something, mm-hmm. it's nice because the flavor profile ends up being the same as what you're trying to recreate. If you're trying to do something like a, an I, one of the reasons I like the 833, that, that's the Eyinger yeast, is uh, I really like the Eyinger beers. And if I'm trying to recreate those, I can use that Eyinger... German Bach yeast 833, and the flavor, flavor profile ends up being really close to the same. You, yeast has a lot of impact on the flavor. Mm. So whether you're doing a all-grain batch or an extract batch, you know, the yeast is important. So if you're, if you're brewing with extract, 
there are some European Pilsner malt, continental Pilsner malt extracts on the market. And even the domestic Pilsner malt extracts are better than using just ultralight. So I wouldn't use your standard Alexander Sun Country ultralight extract. I would use a Pilsner extract. It has a very specific flavor. I know a lot of the homebrew shops sell that. And some of the homebrew shops sell Munich malt extract. And some of the companies, I think Weyermann's makes even a blend of Pilsner malt and Munich malt extract. Do you know the percentage at all? I'm not sure. I think, but it's, I believe, appropriate for making box. This is a while ago, and I I haven't brewed extract for quite a while. And the interesting thing is, if you're you're not going to find a Munich malt extract, you're going to have to do a mini-mash. You can't just steep... Munich malt. I know a lot of homebrew shops tell people to steep a pound of Munich in a in a recipe, and you can't steep Munich malt. You're gonna just wash a bunch of starch into your into your beer. Are you gonna get a flavor though still from the Munich? A little bit, but really, what needs to happen on that Munich malt is it needs to be converted, right? Right. It, it's it's a grain that crystal malts you can steep because they're already converted. They're just sugars and melanoidins and other things like that. Same thing with the dark roasted grains, but on Munich malt, it's almost a base malt. It'll it'll self-convert, but you need to hold it, say, around 150 to 160 for, you know, 30 minutes or so. Well, can't, can't, why can't you do that in an extract version? If you put it in cold and just even bag, you get to 150, you hold it for 30 minutes, then you proceed to heat up to 170 and take out your grains. Would you still convert then? Or You can, and part of the trick is don't use too much water. Uh, keep it keep it in lesser amount of water. If it's in the grain bag, it may convert, but you you need to let it set around that t- that range, like you're saying, 150 or so, 150 to 160. Let it sit for half an hour. Let the uh, starches, the enzymes, work on the starches and convert them. So at that point, you're doing a partial mash. So if you want to do all extract, you can do all extract, but you're going to need to get a, a Pilsner malt extract and a Munich malt extract. You know, two thirds, one third, or whatever the range is, and that will turn out quite well. Well, let's say if you don't do a mini-mash, would you recommend using, like, a Crystal 15, you know, for just a little bit of it, just for color purposes? Yeah, you can. It's just you're going to end up, you know, the flavor is not anywhere near the same. Okay. What about no grains at all? I mean, just go... Well, and you you might do that. Just do all Pilsner and... It's not going to have some of that melanoidin flavor to it, mm. but uh, you'll get a pretty nice beer there, and it'll be more like a Hellas gone big. You know, cause I, but for it's close when you get to the box, yeah, you want you want that Munich malt in there, some of that character in there makes a big difference. Right. So, what about your mash? In the mash, you're going to mash at, I like 154. You know, 154 is my number. Yeah, it's your, it's your go-to. <laughs> it's, and you you can you can go, here's another interesting thing that, that a lot of people at times will get confused on. The higher mash temperature doesn't make a beer maltier. And lower mash temperature doesn't make it less malty. Maltiness is a factor of the, the ingredients that you're using, the type of grains, how they've been kilned, hmm. right? The process that has made those grains. 
mash temperature really just controls the the long chain sugars, the dextrins that are going to be in there, and that can have some effect on you know body. Some leave a, a bit of sweetness as well, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really affect maltiness. So a higher mash temperature does not make a beer maltier. Well, traditionally, aren't these my box decoction brewed? Yes, uh, that would be the traditional way to do it. If you're going to do a decoction, right. I don't. I do single infusion. It works just fine. The malts are so well converted these days that you don't you don't need anything more than that. But if you want to do a, a step mash, uh, you know that certainly works out well. Gordon Biersch does it. They even do decoction, don't they? Right? They pull a single decoction, didn't you say? Uh, Gordon Biersch does. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Dan does do that. So um, you can do the decoction mash. It's a lot more work. If you want to do it, you pull the thick part of the grains out, and you scoop them out, put them in another pot, boil the grains, and it has just enough water to keep it from scorching. Mm. You raise the temperature up, let it convert, you boil it, and then you add that back into the main mash, and that raises the temperature to the next step, and you do that however many times for whatever level of decoction you want. What that does is form melanoidins again, and in a beer like this, if you're going to do that, I would back way off on the Munich malt. So I'm using two-thirds, one-third. If you're going to do decoction, you might go all Pilsner and do a triple decoction, and that could do it for you. Or you could do maybe 10% Munich, and you know, if you're doing a single decoction, something like that. How does a, a home brewer get the same malt profile using single infusion versus doing a decoction brew? Well, there's a lot of argument on that, and... The argument is, oh, I can use grains to mimic the the, the flavors. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's pretty darn close. You really can come awfully close. There's a number of other factors that affect it where you can have a beer that's single infusion mashed and it can be maltier and seem more bready and rich Mm -hmm. than a decoction mashed beer. So... I, I think there's enough room for everybody to say my way is the right way right. on that. Right. And personally, I'd rather, you know, take less time, brew as many as I can, and, you know, enjoy a lot of different beers rather than putting too much time into one like that. Sure. But, you know, Doc the other day said he was, uh, he did a decoction on something. and His wood beer. Yeah, yeah it took him, took him forever, but. <laughs> Five-hour mash. Right. No thanks. <laughs> for water on these... Again, I'm not big on adjusting water, but if you have a really high carbonate, hard water, you want to have a softer water for the style of beer. If you have too high sulfates, carbonates, things like that, you're going to get a harsher bitterness out of it, and you don't want that. This, again, is is a rich, uh, balanced beer, and soft water is traditionally what would be used for something like this. If your water is moderate, I wouldn't bother changing anything. If you have real hard water, I would try getting some distilled and mixing it with your tap water to just get a reasonable uh, level of uh, minerals and such in there mm-hmm. so, you, so you don't end up with a really harsh beer. When it comes time to ferment, and this is really where the Maybach is made. You know, The grains are fairly simple. The process is simple. The hops are simple. You're thinking, well, where does the character of this beer, where's the challenge of this beer? seems like there's nothing to it. Right. 
Well, the the challenge is in making an appropriate pitch of yeast to ferment a bock. So you either need to brew a lighter lager to start with. Uh, what I would do is do a two-liter starter or four-liter starter, whatever, for brewing a municellus. And once you brewed that five gallons of municellus at a 1048 or whatever it, it you have your hellas at, right. you take that yeast and you repitch that into this and brew your your mybach off of that yeast. Now would that be would you just use your primary yeast and pour it out into your flask or something or yeah just flame the opening like you say right okay. yeah F- rack your beer to your keg or your bottles flame the opening stir up the carboy pour it out into a sterile container or a sanitized container and you know be ready to, to brew if you're some people pitch their their or rack their wort right onto their yeast cake from the and if you're going my box or Munichellus to a Maybach, probably that, that, that's probably him. just about right. Yeah. You know, you're, you're fairly close at that. You can use the pitching rate calculator to get the exact amount you need, and that's the ideal way to do it. But just putting the wort onto uh, the cake from a Munichellus, not not bad idea, I would think. No. Pitch cold, too, right? Pitch cold. Ferment cold. Pitch cold. Ferment cold. <laughs> Take your time. Uh, the... The thing on lager yeast, if if you pitch warm, you have to be very careful about how pitching warm is like in the 60, 65 tops. Because if you if you pitch it at 70 or 75 and you cool it down and you get that yeast going at 75 and you chill it down to 50, a lot of the yeast just drops out and stops working because it thinks, oh, it's time to shut down. Everything's going dormant. And it's too too high range. I wouldn't drop the temperature more than 10 degrees. Okay. So if you if you pitch at 60, that's you know that's all right. And you you go down, you know, drop the temp down to 50 and ferment it there. Uh, that might be okay. Ideally, I think what you want to do is get that down below 50, pitch your yeast, let it warm up to 50, and ferment there. I think you're going to get a better beer that way. One thing that when people are making lagers that they get all freaked out about to say, well. You know, I followed your advice. I pitched in cold, and I don't see anything. You know, it's I, I got to warm it up to 65. Yeah. It's like no, 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 no. This is not an ale. This is a different type of yeast. It it behaves differently. You're talking about colder liquids will hold more dissolved CO2. So you got your yeast in there. Your yeast is working. They say, well, I see no activity. The airlock's not bubbling. I don't see you know foam on the top. Well. The you know you won't see the airlock bubbling until the CO2 has reached saturation level. Colder liquids hold more CO2. It takes longer for the CO2 to bubble out and to move the airlock. So it's going to take longer just off of that. Right. And like two to four days, or well, it, it it'll take a while, and it depends on the temperature, how much yeast you pitch, how active the yeast was, and the ideal thing is. You know, take your time on a lager. Don't rush it. It's going to take at least twice as long to ferment out as an ale does. So four to six weeks? I, Especially on a bigger beer. So on an ale, on a 1070 ale, I would give it you know 10 days to two weeks generally. On a 1070 lager, I'm going to give it you know four weeks. Wow. Just primary. And then... Yeah, I pitch that yeast in there. What I like to do is... Uh, chill my wort down till it's around 44. Get it off the the tube. Get rid of all the cold break and stuff. Rack it to another container, or if you've got a 
a conical, you know, open the dump valve and drop out all the tube that's out there. I'll let mine sit overnight. Before you even pitch? Before I pitch. I'll let it sit there. I know my sanitation is good. Right. You've got the work cooled, you know, at 40-some-odd degrees. The bacteria aren't really very active. You probably don't have a lot in there. Drop out the yeast, uh, the, the tube and all that. Get your clean wort. For loggers, this is important. Mm-hmm. And then pitch your yeast, you know, oxygenate, and let it warm up naturally to, to 50 degrees. And if you've done that, you're not going to have a lot of trube in your yeast cake after you're done. So you do your Munich Hellas this way. The yeast that comes out of there is almost just pure yeast. Sure. There's really not a lot of other break material in there or hops or anything. And if you rinse that out with some sterile water and shake it around a little bit, the you know you get a big layer of nice, creamy, clean yeast that you can use in a Mybach. You could probably keg the same day if you brewed the same day. Like kegged up your Hellas. Your Munich Hellas mm-hmm. pump right in from your Maybach recipe right on top of that slurry. Sure, sure, you could do that. Again, you don't want to over pitch, but you know, going from a 1048 Munich Hellas to a 1070 Maybach, probably okay. Eh, probably pretty close. Uh, I'd have to look at the exact numbers, but it, it, it's pretty pretty close. So you're going to ferment that. It's going to take again. Uh, Four weeks, six weeks, don't rush it. Let it sit there nice and steady, 50 degrees. Let it ferment out. And if you if you pitch cold and you pitch plenty of healthy yeast, mm-hmm. you won't need to do a diacetyl rest at the end. I was end. Just going to ask you that. Do, uh, you, do you do a diacetyl rest? I, I haven't done diacetyl rest in years. Yeah, I don't and do one either. It's just if you, if you pitch warm, you're going to build up diacetyl to start with, and then you're going to have to get the temperature back up there at the end to, to reconsume that diacetyl. Mm-hmm. won't produce as much diacetyl if you pitch cold, and if you're, you know, you're clean and you pitch enough healthy yeast. If you're, if you're, you can take a sample after a few weeks and see if there's any diacetyl, if you know what it's like, and if there is, you can always do a diacetyl rest at that time. Doesn't it drop out when it's cold? The diacetyl? No, no. It has to be reabsorbed by the yeast. Okay. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to get into the uh, Q&A section, answer your your questions. If you're in the chat room, get your questions into us. If you're not in the chat room, get in there and uh, share with us some other brewers and ask some questions. We'll be right back. We're back. We're talking about Munich. <laughs> you doing this Hellas Bach? Hellas Bach, my Bach, which is like a big Munich Hellas in a way. And uh, we covered the flavor profile, what we like about it, how to brew it, and now we're going to get into your questions. And if you haven't participated in the chat room before, there's a chat now feature when you're listening to the show. And you can chat with other brewers that are that are listening to the same show as you, and it's very enjoyable. I do it when I'm listening to the Sunday show. All right, so a few questions I gotten for you guys already. Uh, chat room's having a good time in there, by the way. They want to know if there's any chickens disease in Germany right off the bat. Uh, I don't. I think so. 
Uh, off topic, but I think this is a good question. They actually didn't want me to ask this uh, necessarily, but I thought it was a really good question. Are you, Jamil, not allowed to enter the national homebrew competition stuff because you sit on the board of the AHA? No, uh, they still allow me to enter. You can? Okay. Because yeah. uh, you hadn't said that, but I thought about that, too. Like, they might think you're... Yeah, inside track or something. Damn no. it. No. <laughs> yeah, John was open for that, right? Okay. What size Pope outfit do you need uh, if you go to the NCHF uh, competition? Uh, I don't know. Extra large. I think they want to get you one, so. <laughs> it's one depends, what size. It depends how big my head is at the time. Yeah, I think, right. Yeah, that's going to control the size of the uh, Pope's, uh, mm-hmm. like, all in a mitre or. Well, what speedo hat? are you and I wearing, Jay? Yeah, that's the other question. <laughs> Okay, uh, have you ever tried uh, a Maybach from a brewing company called Harpoon? Harpoon Maybach. Harpoon sounds familiar. Yeah. I don't recall the Maybach, though. Okay, they just want to know if you ever had it and had any uh, ideas about it. All right, how about a tough one for you, then? Um, They want to know about mash efficiencies, a good question that came through. Someone's been talking, having a discussion on a couple boards and with a pro brewer of a local micro about aiming uh, for lower efficiencies, like 80% cap, in order to reduce uh, oxidizable phenols and astringency in beer. Got any opinions about that? Yeah, actually I do. Okay. I shoot for uh, an efficiency of about 70%. Okay. And I kind of have the same thing where brewers that are trying to get too high in efficiency, along with the additional sugars you're extracting out of that grain, you're extracting other things. And uh, there's a lot of husk material. You're getting tannins. You're getting phenols. You're getting other compounds that are really not that desirable. If you do a beer where you do a no-mash or a uh, no-sparge process, the resulting wort coming out of that has a completely different character than a sparged beer. And a lot of people believe in no sparge brewing. It takes a lot more grain, and then you you cut it with water, but you don't extract a lot of those things. Target like 70%, and I I think you'd be happy. I I would not. People trying to get 90% or whatever, I don't quite see the, the justification for that, unless you're, you know, a uh, huge brewer, Anheuser-Busch, I'm sure, you know, 1% of efficiency one way or another is tens of millions of dollars. Right. But for a home brewer, you want the best beer you can do, right? Yeah. And that, don't worry about getting that high efficiency. Okay. One other thing about efficiency, people think it's all sorts of different things that affect efficiency, and the, the biggest things that affect efficiency are the crush of the grain and how fast you sparge. Sparge very slowly. Crush your grain really fine, and your efficiency goes up. Okay. Hmm. What about fining agents in this style of a beer? Do you use any finings in the kettle or anywhere else? I really love Whirlflock. Okay. Do you and use Whirlflock in all your beers? Yes. Me too. Yeah, real easy. Pretty to much use. a general thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just toss toss in a tablet towards the end. Yeah, but I just uh, the reason I asked that it sounds like a stupid question, but John told me once I was real surprised that uh, EJ Fair won't he doesn't use it. Of course, he filters his he beer filters too. Filters after fermentation, yeah. But but even a lot of the of the of the breweries that filter, which is most of them, mm-hmm. also use the Warflock too, mm-hmm. or some sort of a gypsum in there, right? Mm-hmm. But I just think that's interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, it it really does a great job, and especially since I've shifted over to do, doing the whirlpool chiller, mm. right. I use Warflock in my whirlpool. Oh, really? Right. So, which is pretty much what it's intended for is towards the end. 
right at the knockout and you, you toss it in and it's all pre uh, prepared and it's been acidified and it's all ready to go and that's one of the benef- benefits of Whirlflock. They say if you put Whirlflock in too early, yeah, uh, you run into some other problem with Whirlflock that you know it's not going to be as effective. Because I've only ever just read on your like basic instructions that you put it in 20 minutes to the end of the boil. But yeah. I was just reading in Brew Your Own about that. Uh, Brindleson, uh, Brindleson, Matt from Matt, Firestone yeah. did an article about finings, and he was talking about five minutes to the end. Yeah. So I think I've been doing it too early the whole time. 20 minutes is way too early, isn't yeah, it? It's probably not going to make that big a difference. But yeah, you toss it in the last five minutes. But you don't even do, you don't toss it in until you're doing your whirlpool. I toss it in right before I shut off the flame. So. I start the whirlpool before the flame has been turned off, and so the whirlpool is going. Then I I toss the tablets in, I shut the flame off, and the water on okay. to, to chill. And it's one tablet per five gallons, right. basically. Yeah, a tablet's good for ten gallons, twelve okay. gallons. So you know you don't need to put two in for ten gallons; just use one. Okay. Whirlflox Irish moss, right? Compacted or it's a refined carrageenan. Okay. So Irish moss is pretty much the same thing. It's it's definitely refined. It's not Whirlflock and Irish moss are not the same thing. Mm. If you're using Irish moss, people saying use a half a teaspoon, whatever. You need about two teaspoons to two and a half teaspoons for a five gallon batch. That's last one. Irish moss. Irish moss. Yeah, it needs to rehydrate, and you're supposed to rehydrate in water first. There's a lot of things with Irish moss. People, you know, have this way of of using it. I would just but spend the twenty five cents on a batch of beer and buy world flock and just mm. toss it and be done with it. That's my opinion. Okay. I know that's expensive for some brewers and I'm always guilty of throwing their money around, but Yeah, the twenty five cents. Yeah. Sometimes that is. If I have to feed the meter today, I'm not getting any world flock. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, you, uh, I'm sure, mentioned this, but uh, what is the yeast that you like to use? Let's restate that for this uh, style and at what temperature are you fermenting? My two favorite yeasts for lagers are the WLP-833, which is the German Bach yeast, okay. and the White Labs uh, WLP-830, which is the German lager yeast. I d- did a long stint of using only the German Bach yeast uh, from the day it came out, and actually before that I was using iron off a, off a slant, and it's fantastic for every kind of lager. But when... Uh, I just recently shifted back to, to trying some batches with 830, and I really love that, too. That's mm-hmm. a really great great lager yeast all around. Okay. You don't ever Oh, the do. fermentation temperature. Uh, yeah. So I'll chill the wort down to 44 degrees. I get the, rid of the tube, the cold break, and then I pitch my yeast, oxygenate it, and I let the yeast naturally carry the temperature of the, the beer up to 48 or so. Okay. And I let it ferment there. I never let it go above 50. Okay. Never above 50. Never. What's the temperature of it when you pitch? 44. Okay. 45. And then you let it rise up to wherever right. it's going to be. Which, again, is what uh, Dan Gordon was saying they do. And I, I had no idea what their process was, but that was encouraging because they... Ends up being the same thing. It was exactly what I do. And it's what the traditional German brewers do in Germany. And okay. it's really the way, the proper way to do it, do this kind of beers. Okay. That's about it, really. Uh, somebody want to know when we're doing the uh, pills or uh, and or the Dunkel show. I got a list here, but I think our dates are wrong. Yeah, the... Uh, it's the, later in the year. All right. The next show up is going to be 
stout. The dry stouts. Yeah. And uh, you'll brew those dry stouts. You'll be ready for uh, St. Patrick's Day. So mm-hmm. no green beer. Uh, that's why we're doing stouts. And then uh, whip beer and Oktoberfest Marts, and that's going to be uh, Dr. Scott on those shows. Not doing that's right. Two weeks in a row he's going to do. And which pills are we looking for? Uh, it just says they just asking pills. I'm actually looking on here. And Dunkel, too. All right. We're, well, we're going to do the classic American pills. Uh, kind of around time for uh, 4th of July as well as uh, American Brown Ale for 4th of July. And uh, we'll get into Schwartz beer. Uh, let's see. I don't see the Munich Dunkel on there. I'll have to take a look at the, the full list uh, okay. when I get home. But um, next show will be Dry Stout. Go out and brew your My Box and get those ready for May. And you'll you'll have a wonderful experience with that. Next show will be uh, Dry Stout, ready for St. Patrick's Day. Two weeks from now. And uh, coming up next is, uh, nope, no, no Sunday I replay. S- I tell you, I worked all night long trying to get this stupid network working. I couldn't bring my archive over. Give, gonna, me, give me a couple hours, I'll put it up. And then uh, you're going to do Oz tomorrow? Yes. Oz I'm hoping you did a new show Tuesday, for Tuesday, 10 o'clock. It's a great show. I, I enjoy it a lot. And I think you will, too. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers, no. Jamil. Take care, John. Hi, right, bud. Well, this 